Well, amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 11. We'll be reading here in just a minute uh, verses 19 through 30. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Uh, I've been preaching through the, the book of Acts over the last, uh, the last few months. And just to connect Acts to Advent, Advent is celebrating uh, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came and he lived, died, and rose again. And the book of Acts then takes over after Jesus then ascended back to heaven. And Acts is the story about how the original apostles and other early disciples then went out to spread the news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, between that first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus when he finally returns, the gospel is spreading around the globe. And we are just an extension of the book of Acts. Um, Acts goes to Acts chapter 28, and we really live in Acts chapter 29. We are the extension of the book of Acts, continuing to spread the gospel of Jesus around the globe until his second advent when he comes again. So we'll read in just a second here, starting Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 19. Let's pray as we get going here. Well, Father, we just look to you now as we open your word. We do thank you, Father, for the love you demonstrated by sending your son, Jesus, to this earth to pay the penalty for our sins. We thank you, Father, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we are your forgiven people. And and Father, we thank you that, that ultimately you will spread the news about Christ around this globe. And as we look, Lord, at your scriptures now, we would pray for the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us, that, Lord, we would be gripped again by the beauties of Christ, that we would be gripped again, Lord, by your purposes in this world, in Christ Jesus. Father, help us today. Energize us by your Spirit. Fill us, Lord, with your Spirit. And and we thank you for this now, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, when you think through the history of our world, there have been quite a few things that have been uh, created by accident. All of these uh, accidental inventions. Uh, 1879, two men working in a lab at Johns Hopkins, they paused to eat. One neglected to wash his hands before the meal, which for chemists typically ends in death. Uh, but, but this man noticed during his, the, uh, his meal this oddly sweet flavor. And we now have this, artificial sweetener. A very lucrative accident uh, for, for this man. Uh, or 1943, Navy engineer Richard James trying to create a way to keep sensitive instruments on ships from rocking themselves to death by using these, this system of springs. And he, he knocked over one of his springs and instead of crashing to the floor, it kind of sprang to the floor and righted itself. And we now have this. The slinky, 300 million sold worldwide now. Oh God, let me have an accident like this at some point. Or a paste created by Cut-All Project or Products, and it was created to clean dirty wallpaper. Did not work that well. And Cut-All was heading toward bankruptcy very quickly when they realized that young kids were using this paste to create Christmas ornaments. Do you have any guesses? We now have this, Play-Doh, and, and what home would now be complete without that ground into the carpet, right? <laughs> like all over my house. All of these accidental creations, and, and at this point in the book of Acts, the early Christians now really create something by accident 
Kind of. Uh, this creation was not an accident from God's perspective. God had planned from all eternity to create this thing. But from a purely human perspective, these Christians weren't looking to create this thing. And what did they create here? Well, these Christians now create a church in Antioch. They, they didn't plan to start this church in Antioch. It, it just sort of happened by God's sovereign design. But you know what these Christians here discovered with this accidental church plant? Well, they discovered God's missional strategy. God promised in the Bible that he would one day raise up worshipers for himself from every people group on this planet. Jesus, before he sent it back to heaven, he told his apostles and other early Christians, he told them that they would make new disciples in all nations. The gospel message of Christ ultimately spreading to the end of the earth. But how would God do this? How would God spread the gospel and make disciples all over the world? What would God's missional strategy be? Well, these Christians now discovered it. God will ultimately do all of this through the planting of local churches. That would then plant other churches to the end of the earth. These Christians now learn here, kind of by accident... That this is God's missional strategy to reach the world through the planting of local churches. Let's go ahead and see how it happens. Read it here, verse 19. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he says now, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians." Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Amen. You look at this text here, easy to lose sight of what's going on, but you step back and look at it and you see God has really now revealed his missional strategy to reach the world, to make disciples in all nations through the planting of local churches. We, we see three key elements in this text here, the three key elements in God's missional strategy, and here they are, we'll put them on the screen for you. What do we see here in this text? How will God reach the world, his missional strategy? Evangelism, equipping, and sending. And the first thing we see here, the first key element in God's missional strategy is evangelism. We, we see Christians here going out, sharing the gospel message about Christ. If you look at verse 19 again, now those who were scattered, Luke says, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Those of you who've been with us for a while now, if you think back to Acts chapter 8, Stephen, an early Christian, was stoned in Jerusalem. And this persecution led by Saul before he became a Christian, before he became the Apostle Paul. And the other Christians there in Jerusalem, who up to that point had really only shared Christ there in Jerusalem, well, because of this persecution over Stephen, who was just martyred, they were scattered to outlying areas. And Luke now picks up on that story again here, and he says right here that some of these who were scattered went to Phoenicia. 
in Cyprus, in Antioch, and down in verse 20, he says some had also scattered to Cyrene. I have a map of this scattering for you. The Christians, back in Acts 8, they were down in Judea over here, bottom right, in Jerusalem, and you can now just kind of follow those little number ones as they go out. That's the scattering. They scattered west through Egypt to Cyrene, northern coast of Africa. They also scattered up to the island of Cyprus, about 100 miles off the coast in the Mediterranean Sea. And they also scattered north of Jerusalem to Phoenicia, this, this area in there, which is present-day Lebanon. And verse 19 says, they also scattered all the way north of Phoenicia, way up upper right to the city of Antioch in Syria, which is now southeastern Turkey. And just thinking about this city, Antioch, which plays a big role in this text, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time, just behind Rome and Alexandria. There were some 500,000 people in, up in Antioch. It was a melting pot of a city with at least five different ethnicities there and lots of pagan gods. The city was called the abode or the living place of the gods. And it was a very decadent city. It was known for its cult prostitution, its chariot racing, very deliberate pursuit of pleasure in Antioch. The Roman poet Juvenal, second century, said that Antioch was flooded with wickedness. One writer today called it the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. And yet, it was in this dark city of Antioch, this was the place that God had chosen to start one of these first Christian churches. And that's just like God, isn't it? To, to find one of the darkest of all cities and, and then to plant a, a beacon of light in that city that would now pierce the darkness in, in this area. So these Christians here, they've all scattered to these outlying areas and they took the name of Christ with them, sharing as they went about the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Verse 19 there says that some of these scattering Christians shared Christ only with Jews. Uh, like the Christians earlier in Acts, sharing Jesus only with Jewish people. But we saw last Sunday in the previous passage that, that God just began to send the gospel to non-Jews, to, to Gentiles. The apostle Peter sharing with Cornelius and his family and his friends, all these Gentiles. So God has just now opened the door to the Gentiles. And, and we see here, um, um, sorry, at the end of verse 19, that some others who scattered here didn't just share with Jews, but they actually shared Christ with Gentiles. If you look at the end of verse 19, they scattered to all these areas, speaking the word to no one except Jews, but there were some of them Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. We'll put the map up there again. Now just look at the little twos coming across. So they scattered out from Jerusalem to Judea. Now men from Cyrene over here and men from Cyprus, they now head to Antioch and they start sharing the gospel with the Hellenists, Luke says. Greeks or people with a Greek background or Greek culture. Now, some of the Hellenists in this day, they were Jews. They were, they were Greek people who had converted to Judaism. They were Hellenistic Jews. But many other Hellenists at this time, they were Gentiles. And it seems pretty clear here that these Hellenists in Antioch, they were Gentiles. Because Luke says first here that some Christians shared Christ only with Jews. And then he says, but others shared Christ with Hellenists, most likely meaning Gentiles. So you, you picture it right now, this dark city of Antioch. These Christians have scattered there, and they are now sharing Christ with both Jews and Gentiles. 
preaching Christ, Luke says, and preaching may not be the best translation. The Greek word is euangelizo. We've looked at that before. It simply means to share the good news or even just to whisper the good news. So it's not like they were going into Antioch and setting up a pulpit and preaching in the cities. They might have been, but more likely they were just sharing as they went in Antioch. Just sharing with the people, or as we might say, they were gospeling people. Their neighbors telling them about Christ. The, the, the local shopkeeper, the, the town drunk. This was just person-to-person evangelism, most likely. And Jesus now, after his ascension, Jesus now seated at the right hand of the Father, well, Jesus now blesses this evangelism. If you look at verse 21, Luke says, the the hand of the Lord, the hand of Christ, the hand of Jesus was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. It was a great crowd. Now, both Jew and Gentile in this big city who believed, Luke says, and turned to Christ. And that's how you become a Christian in very short order. Jesus came to pay the penalty for your sins and and God now offers a free and full forgiveness to you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God will forgive you. And what do you need to do? Very simply, there it is. You you turn and believe. You, You turn away from your sin. You turn to Christ. You turn to God. You cry out for mercy and you believe. You trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You trust in Christ as your Master. It's repentance and faith right there in just a a short statement. And through that repentance and faith, you're forgiven by God. He loves you infinitely. He loves you eternally. There was a Puritan, Thomas Watson, who said that faith and repentance are the two wings by which you fly to heaven. And many people here in Antioch, they now believe and they turn. And man, Luke gives us just this great statement there in verse 21. He says, the hand of the Lord was with these believers as they evangelized. And a great number of people now turn to the Lord. And can you see what Luke is saying right there? The Lord brought people to the Lord. Or Christ brought people to Christ. And man, it is just a great reminder to us that anytime someone comes to faith in Christ, it is ultimately Christ who has done it. Yes, we must share the gospel. We must talk about Christ in word or through literature, spoken or written word, telling people about Christ. But Christ is the one who stirs us up to do that. Christ is the one whose hand is with us. Christ is the one who ultimately brings someone to faith. The Lord bringing people to the Lord, which means that no human being can ever boast for any bit of that. So if you are going to share the gospel, praise Christ for his work in your life. We don't praise you. But man, in this work that Christ does to bring people into the kingdom, he does work through people to to accomplish it. He works through believers. And man, I, I want you to notice something about the Christians that Jesus worked through here to bring people to faith in Antioch. You know, all these people who, who come to Christ in faith here in Antioch, none of these people were led to Christ by the 12 apostles. By Peter, by James, or by John. None of them in Antioch. No, all these people here were led to Christ by ordinary, no-name Christians. Scattering to this new area, this dark city, Simply sharing Christ, gospeling person to person. And listen, that is how the gospel typically spreads. As a man, Ajith Fernando, he called these people in Antioch, these Christians, he called them unnamed pioneers. And he went on and he said this, he said, 
Some of the most significant work for the kingdom has been done by unknown witnesses who are obedient to Christ right where they are and where they do not attract much attention. Man, we, we right now, I know there's many of us, we would just stop and thank God for the well-known Christians in our day. I mean, you could thank God for the John Pipers and the John Stotts and the J.I. Packers and on down the road. But the gospel spreads most on this earth not through rock stars, but through unnamed stars. The gospel spreads most through faithful mothers and fathers who disciple their children. The gospel spreads through faithful neighbors who reach out to the people living next to them. The gospel spreads most through faithful employees. All these people, unnamed stars, who simply open their mouth or hand some gospel literature when the time is right and gospel those around them. Christ working primarily on this earth, not through the extraordinary, but through the ordinary. And you, you know what these ordinary, no-name Christians have done here? Sharing the gospel here in Antioch. They've simply obeyed the first part of the Great Commission. Jesus, when He was still on this earth, He said this to His disciples, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And these Christians have done it. They've gone. Because of scattering, because of persecution, but they've gone into this new area sharing Christ, evangelizing and making new disciples and baptizing them now, I'm sure, in all of that in obedience to, to Christ's command. And, and Christ has called Christians today to do the same. Man, He has called us to go. To go to new areas, to go to new people, to go to our neighbors, to go to the shopkeeper, to go to the town drunk and, and share the gospel. When the Lord opens the door, I mean, make new disciples. I mean, this story that we see here in the book of Acts, this is our story. This mission in Acts, this is our mission to make new disciples. And we want to do that here in and through our Church, we want to make new disciples of our kids. Man, kudos to you parents that are laboring hard to make disciples of your children. Jesus sees that and will reward that. Seemingly ordinary, unnamed work at times, and he sees it. You laboring to make disciples. We want to make disciples of our neighbors, of our co-workers, the town drunk. We want each of our life groups to have a mission focus, a group of people that that group is laboring to bring to Christ. All of us just, man, ordinary unnamed stars. But when God's unnamed people, when they get mobilized, like this here in Antioch, Christ does some Amazing things. And, and what ultimately happens here in Antioch? A, a, a new church is formed. That's what Luke calls it in verse 26. A church in Antioch. This new body now of believers in this dark city fellowshipping with one another. Loving, caring for, for one another. And man, here's the incredible thing. You think of this church here in Antioch. Here, here's the incredible thing in, in this church here. The only other real church at this time was back in Jerusalem with the apostles and other early Christians. And that church was all Jews. And this church was the first Jew and Gentile church two ethnicities at this time that were extremely hostile to one another and yet in this church the two have become one through faith in christ and, and, and this church is just an amazing display of christ's reconciling power bringing hostile races together in the body of christ so that's the first thing in this text. First key element in God's missional strategy to reach the world, evangelism. And a second thing we now see, a second key 
in God's missional strategy? Equipping. Man, after, after this evangelism here, new disciples are made, and this church started, well, these new disciples are now equipped. Verse 22 says the report of this new work in Antioch, the report travels back down to Jerusalem to the apostles and the others there, and they want to check on this new work, so they send this man Barnabas to Antioch to check on it. And Barnabas, just a solid man of God. William Barclay said that Barnabas was the man with the biggest heart in the church. He was originally named Joseph, but the apostles had renamed him Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, which is just an indication of this man's desire to encourage other people. And man, isn't it great in your life, Christian, when, when somebody comes up to you and they're really kind of like a son of encouragement to you? They're a daughter of encouragement to you? And they can look into your life and they can see your pain and they can speak to it and encourage you and help you? And so many Christians in the, in the Christian world are more like sons of criticism, daughters of criticism. They don't say anything until there's something to criticize, and then they do. But man, what a blessing to have a son of encouragement around you. And, and we met Barnabas earlier in Acts. He, back in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas sold some property and gave the proceeds to the church to give to the poor. Barnabas chapter, or Acts chapter 9, Barnabas was the one who took the former persecutor Saul underneath his wing caring for Saul when he first became a Christian, and the apostles now send Barnabas to Antioch. And look at verse 23, here's what he sees. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Man, don't you know the grace of God can be seen at times? It can be seen, there's evidence when the grace of God is there. And he comes and he sees evidence of the grace of God. All of these believers, both Jew and Gentile, together loving one another. Such great evidence of the grace of God here in this church. And he's ecstatic. And he exhorts them, Luke says. He encourages or he implores them to remain steadfast. To remain faithful, true to Christ with steadfast purpose. And, and you stop and think about this guy Barnabas, man. When he gets up to Jerusalem here, why? Why did Barnabas exhort these people like this? Well, I want you to notice there's a very important word for at the beginning of verse 24. Here it is. Barnabas exhorted them, why? For or because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Why did Barnabas do this? Because Barnabas was a strong believer. He, he, was, a, he was a believer of good character, full of the Spirit, full of faith. He was a mature Christian. He, he did this. He exhorted these other people for or because that's what mature believers do. They strengthen or they minister to other believers. You see, with a mature, with a, with a, a believer of good character, full of the Spirit, full of faith, it's not just about you and your personal Jesus. It, 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 you don't give a rip about other believers. It's a very immature Christianity. No, mature Christianity, you, 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 you look to ex exhort to, to encourage, to strengthen other believers. And man, churches today desperately need people like Barnabas. Not in the church just as passive consumers, just to get things for themselves. What can this church do for me? But they're actively looking to give to, to others. And verse 24 says that as Barnabas strengthens these believers in Antioch, well, many more believers were now added to the Lord. So many, it seems, that Barnabas was not able to handle all these people. He couldn't develop all of these disciples, so he calls for help. If you look at verse 25, so, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. 
He paused for a second. The last time we saw Saul, or the Apostle Paul, was back in Acts chapter 9. He'd just become a Christian. Barnabas took him under his wing. Paul started preaching Christ in Damascus and in Jerusalem, and the Jewish leaders were trying to kill Paul. Uh, So the apostles shipped Paul off to Tarsus, his hometown. And this is now seven to eight years later. Paul is much older. Probably much wiser when he preaches Christ. Still bold, but maybe a bit more diplomatic at this point. And Barnabas now goes to look for this guy Saul. Barnabas had had him under his wing. They shipped him off. And Barnabas now goes to look for Saul to help with these new disciples here in Antioch. Pause for a second. That is ironic. And actually a little bit humorous. Because Paul was the guy who had scattered everybody to this area. Persecuting the church when he was a non-Christian trying to kill the church. But all God did was use it to scatter people to these new areas like Antioch. And now he's raised up new believers. And now God goes to get Saul to build him up here in Antioch. You think God doesn't have a sense of humor. And that's the way God works. Every time Satan thinks he wins, God just uses it for the eternal good of his people. That's all. So I don't know what you're facing, believer, right now. I don't know what it is and how, how hard it is or the way you might be suffering or the pain you might be feeling. May God give you grace right now. May God give you faith to believe that as hard as that feels and looks to you right now, God will ultimately use that for your eternal good and the eternal good of his other people. That's how God works. So there they go. And then Paul and Barnabas now, they arrive back in Antioch and Luke says, for a whole year they met with this church they taught a great many people and you you think about this they're they're just training they're they're developing they're shaping these new believers paul and barnabas probably teaching or or preaching to these new believers in in a setting like this paul maybe at some sort of pulpit and Paul preaching I'm sure the whole counsel of God as Paul says in Acts chapter 20 they they were probably also teaching in smaller group settings going from home to home they were teaching in one-on-one at a local coffee shop there in Antioch whatever it might be both of these men are now teaching training shaping these these new believers and look what Luke says at the end of verse 26 he says and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Man, it's amazing. You just pause and think about that. It wasn't Jerusalem. It was this dark city, decadent, Antioch. Jews and Gentiles who'd been saved not through the apostles. And it's here where the followers of Christ are first called Christians. And most commentators believe that this name Christian was a name given to them by unbelievers in the city of Antioch. Because these Christ followers talked so much about Christ and they clearly followed Christ. David Peterson said this, they were known as Christ people because they spoke so often of Christ and were followers of his way. Man, Christ just on their lips at all times, talking about Christ to their neighbor. Shopkeeper, the, the, the town drunk, talking about Christ in their meetings with one another. A Christ-saturated speech. But their lives also matched their words. They clearly followed Christ. They, they obeyed Christ. They, they loved. They, they treasured Christ. A Christ-saturated life. And the city of Antioch sees it and then just naturally names them Christians. Christians. Man, you think about that name Christian in our day. It doesn't always mean that much. 
you, 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 you're baptized as a child maybe, and then you have very little connection at all with Christ. There's no Christ in your speech. There's no real following uh, of Christ. But whenever you have to check your religion on some document, you, you now check Christian. There, there are entire nations now that are called Christian nations simply because they aren't overtly Muslim or Buddhist nations. Dr. Harry Ironside, he was a 1900s pastor in Chicago. He once handled, handed a gospel a little booklet to a man on a train, and he asked the man, he said, are you, are you a Christian? And the man said, look at me. Do I look Arabian or, Jew, or, or, or Ch- Jewish or, or Chinese? There's your answer. Implying that he was a Christian simply because he was Caucasian living in America, which is a joke. The name Christian today hardly meaning a thing, but the name Christian in Antioch, it meant something. These people called Christians because they talked and lived like Christ's followers. Alexander the Great once learned that in his army was another man named Alexander who was a notorious coward. And so Alexander the Great, who conquered the world when he was just 23, he called this soldier before him and said, Is your name Alexander? And the trembling coward said, Yes, sir. And Alexander the Great said, Then either be brave or change your name. And you know, a similar thing could probably be said to many professing Christians at some point in time, either begin to talk and live like a Christian or change your name. Because that name meant something back in Antioch. And man, you, you, you look now at what Paul and Barnabas are doing in this new church. As they're teaching, they're training these new believers. And once again, they're just obeying the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said this to his first disciples. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that's what we see here in this text. New disciples have been made here in evangelism. And now they're faithfully teaching them, equipping these disciples, which Christians today are also called to do. You know, this story of Acts is our story. This mission is our mission. We're called by Christ to evangelize, but also then to equip, to teach, to train, to shape, to to mold, to, 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 to help one another to grow in Christ. And man, we want to do that. We're aiming to do that here in, in, in our church. All of us looking to equip one another in our life groups. We want to mature one another. Iron sharpening iron. Or equipping one another from the pulpit here. Aiming to preach the whole counsel of God. As Paul says in Acts 20, not skipping over parts of the Bible, but all the Bible, or equipping in our Sunday classes, or equipping our future leaders in, in what we call our equip track, which started this past fall. That's our calling as a church. Those first two things, to evangelize and also then to equip. So that's the second thing we see here with God's missional strategy to reach the world. How will God reach the world Make disciples in, in all nations, evangelism and equipping. And the third and final thing we see, the final key element in God's missional strategy is sending. Sending. You just look at this text. As soon as this new church is planted here through evangelism, the new disciples now being equipped here in this church, well, this young church now starts immediately to send. Sending right now these resources back out. Verse 27 says that this time some prophets came down to Antioch from the church in Jerusalem. 
some prophets here. They would travel from different city to different city, meeting with different churches. And God promised back in Joel 2 that when the Holy Spirit was finally poured out on his people in this new covenant age of the Spirit in which we now live, well, Joel 2 said that God's people would prophesy. Both sons and daughters throughout this entire age, this Holy Spirit gift of prophecy now for God's people. God, God speaking to his people at times, very specific words for very specific occasions. You know, the Bible is God's spoken word for all people at all times. We must always stay submitted to God's word, but God also gives his people at times these prophecies. God speaking, God speaking specific words for specific occasions. God leading his people through the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Spirit now speaking very intimate, gracious, in the moment directions which God does here now through a man named Agabus, who had this gift of prophecy. Verse 28 says, Agabus now foretold here in this church that a great famine would come to the area, which actually happened then in the days of Emperor Claudius. And man, you pause and think about this. It was, it was just this specific word from God for that specific time, a famine Prepare. And, and Christians today, man, we still need at times that type of specific direction from God. And, and thank God that he still works like that. The Spirit now filling all of God's people and empowering God's people at times with this gift of prophecy. Specific words for specific occasions. Now we must always remain submitted to the word of God and any prophecy that's spoken for a specific time, it must line up with the word and it never trumps the word of God. But God can give his people these in the moment words, these promptings from the spirit, this is coming, prepare. Just like God did right here in and through Agabus. And this church now hearing this prophecy from Agabus, this church now acts on this word from God concerning this famine. If you look at verse 29, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, to send money or send resources to this other church in Jerusalem. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You just pause and think about this. It's just basic mercy ministry. This church in Antioch feels for some reason that this famine is really going to impact this church back in Jerusalem. So they send resources. They, they don't force anybody in their church to give. It's not a required socialism in the church in Antioch, no. This church just determined that everyone, Luke says, according to his or her ability, would, would give. And they put it together and they write one big check and they send it with Paul and Barnabas to this church back in Jerusalem. And we do a similar thing with our Helping Hands Fund. You heard about it. Thomas talked about it earlier. We're receiving an offering today for our Helping Hands Fund. Every penny that you put into that box or every check will go directly to particular needs. It will go to particular needs within this church body. It will go to the needs of our neighbors when we find that they might need particular things. We've been able to give out over $40,000 over the last eight years. And just a huge blessing to, to send mercy to our own people and, and to our neighbors. This mercy ministry, and that's what this church in Antioch is doing. They're, they know they're going to be in need. They put together a check and they send. And with this gift that this Antioch church now sends to Jerusalem, it's just something amazing happening there. Because many of these people in this church in Antioch, they're Gentiles. And they're now sending a large sum of money back to a Jewish church. And it's just another sign that this, this formerly hostile racism between Jew and Gentile had been broken down in, in Christ Jesus. And man, you think about it. This young church plant here is now sending. They're sending resources out 
almost immediately after they've been planted. When we first started our church, we began sending funds to global missions. And a gentleman who was with our church at the time met me at a coffee shop, and he said, I don't think that's right. I think we need to take some time here, and we need to be established in Woodbury before we start sending our resources out. And I said, thank you very much, but I think God disagrees. Because this church in Antioch just started sending immediately. And the longer you go without sending, you run the risk of becoming a very inward-focused church, and it's much harder to begin sending. So I'm thankful God enabled us to send resources from the get-go. But this young church here, listen, they're not just going to send resources. No, do you know that in just a short time now, Acts chapter 13, they'll send more than money, they'll send people. In just a short time now, they will actually lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas, the two leaders in their church, and send them on global missions. You think you only send the lowest rung on your ladder out to global missions? Can you imagine sending Paul and Barnabas who were in your church? You just sent the cream of the crop out on global missions. This young church, within just a couple days of its inception, sending both money and people. And why? Because God creates churches to be rivers and not lakes. God doesn't create a local church to just pool all of its resources and all of its people and just hold them in and keep growing bigger and bigger and bigger. No, God calls local churches to be rivers. We receive people. We receive resources. We build them up. We put them together and we send them back out. And that's the text here. Evangelism, equipping, and and sending. And man, you step back now and you, you look at that text. These early Christians starting here really by accident, this new church, they, 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 they didn't plan to do it. It just happened by God's sovereign design. But man, with this accidental church plant or church start here in Antioch, I think they figured it out. This, this is God's missional strategy to reach the world. This is how he's going to spread his glory. He's going to spread the gospel. This this is how he's going to make disciples in all nations through the planting of local churches. Churches that will then plant other churches and other churches and other churches. God establishing one after the other. These little beachheads around the world, these little staging posts, beacons of light piercing the darkness in their city. Little churches that then send out and establish more beacons of light in dark areas from church to church to the end of the earth. Evangelism, equipping and sending or church planting over and over again. Christians go and they make disciples. New disciples, and of those new disciples, the church is is then formed, and they're then equipped, or they're trained, or they're shaped, and this new church then sends resources and people to repeat the pattern, God filling the globe with the knowledge of His glory through the planting of local churches. And these early Christians here, right here, Acts chapter 11, I think they caught it. I think they now see, they understand that this is God's missional strategy. How do we know? Because these Christians now, throughout the book of Acts, will repeat this thing over and over and over again. They first do it here with, with this accidental church planting, but when Paul and Barnabas then go out, Acts chapter 13, what the, will they go out to do? Well, they'll go out to do some serious intentional church planting from city to city to city to plant churches, evangelism, equipping, and sending centers around the world. And here's the thing. That's our mission. That's our mission as a local church. We've been called by God to play an active role in his missional strategy. This church here was planted, our church was planted some eight years ago by Bethlehem Baptist Church, and it was planted to be a church planting church. That's why we were sent out. That's why we received money and ultimately to be able to plant other churches. And from day one in this church, we've been working toward planting other churches. We have now saved up significant funds in a church planting fund that will go towards church plant. 
We've supported missionaries in places like China and India and Indonesia, missionaries going out to plant uh, other churches. We're sending missionaries now of our own, people like Will and Sarah Myron, to plant churches in, in Ireland. And we're working to plant churches locally. We, we've saved up these funds for church plants. I've been putting together a church planting residency so we can train up our own church planting pastors sooner than you might think. The elders currently in discussion with a possible resident who would be trained here for a year or two and then sent out with a small team of CRC people to plant a new church. A small team to go out and evangelize, to make new disciples. That's a church plant. As you grow through evangelism, a small team to go out and make new disciples. And when they come, to equip them. And that church then built up to send and plant other churches. That's our mission as a local church. Man, you know, God has been so good to us as Christians. Jesus giving his life for us. Forgiving us freely through the cross. Christ now loves us infinitely and eternally. And we now have the amazing privilege of spreading the name of this Christ we love through the planting of local churches. So I'll just leave you with this. What will your role be in our planting of churches? What will your role be? Because everybody has a role. Will you give to the planting of of our churches? Will you give resources? Well, then give generously. God has given to you generously. Give generously. Or will you go? Will you go with the small team that goes out to plant churches? Because God's going to call some here to go. Or you may be called to be a church planter. Or global missionary to go out. And help plant churches. What is your role in this thing? Man, we have an amazing privilege to evangelize, to equip, and to send. May God help us to step into his missional strategy for his glory and for the eternal joy of many people. Father, we thank you. Bless you for your word again here this morning. Your word just taking us around to all these different amazing topics as we just work through a book and we can just see here, Lord God, we can just see your heart here to evangelize, to form new churches, and then to equip and send in order to evangelize, equip and send in new local churches. And Father, I just pray here in our church you would help us to step into that stream. Just thinking this week of Hudson Taylor's comment, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Or God's work, the spreading of the name of Christ, done God's way, the planting of churches, will never lack God's supply. Will never lack your blessing, Lord. So help us as a church to keep our eye on the goal, not just to be developed here, but to send, but to send, Lord, to send. Help us to be a river, Lord God, here. And we trust, Father, your blessing will be upon us. Your supply will be upon us as we step in to do that which you have called us to do. So, Lord, we thank you for it now and pray for your blessings upon it. In the name of Jesus, amen.